Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to worship at all of our locations. Hello, Greenbush. I had a great time with you guys last weekend. What a marvelous Sunday morning we had, huh? Just worshiping together and learning together from God's Word. And then welcome, Saratoga. You're the North Country. Thank you guys for all that you're doing to reach your community there. And welcome, Half Moon. You were the first, the pioneering group that that uh, went away from the original campus in Latham, and we're so glad for all that God is doing in and through you guys as well. Well, we're continuing in a series called Meaningful Membership. We kicked it off uh, two or three weekends ago where we looked at this first statement in our membership covenant. It reads something like this, I will love, honor, and obey Jesus Christ above all else in my life. Understanding that my life is my ministry, I will seek to represent Jesus well at all times. And I ask you to write alongside of that the word lordship. Because you see, if we understood the implications of that, whoa, that means that Jesus truly is the master, the guide, the Lord, the leader of my life, and whatever he desires is of course what I would desire if I really, really believe this to be true and am committed to it. But because in our culture we tend to not understand lordship very much, what we do as a church is to add just a few. These are not exhaustive at all. We could list many more things that the Lord really expects of healthy followers, but we're just giving a few of the things that God will use Positive disciplines to change our lives. Last week, we looked at one of those, which is prayer. And it reads like this. I will learn and practice the disciplines of private and corporate prayer. If you didn't get a chance to hear that message, please go online and listen to that. We kind of unpacked the Our Father from Luke chapter 11, the Lord's Prayer there, that abbreviated version of it. And I think that Based on the positive input I've received, God is going to use that to encourage you and help you in your prayer life. But today, I want us to look at the third statement in our Meaningful Membership Covenant, and it looks like this. I will become a consistent student of the Scriptures. Now, whoa, what are we trying to do here? Are we trying to make Bible geeks out of people? Do we want everybody to get a seminary degree and walk around spouting verses at everything that moves? Is that what we're trying to do? Well, a seminary degree wouldn't be bad. And it's certainly not a problem to be able to share verses in the appropriate context. But what we're really thinking about in this particular expectation is that all of the people who are truly committed to growing deeper in the Lord would on a very regular basis, daily if possible, in fact, maybe multiple times throughout the day, I myself turn to Scripture every hour at least from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. It's just a personal commitment I have. It's something I practice every single day, and I remind myself of something the Lord has shown us and taught us in His Word all throughout those waking hours. 
But we're asking you, maybe every day, but certainly on a very regular basis to say, look, I'm going to read and study the scripture so that I can internalize that truth. That's what we're expecting. That you would have something of a, a quiet time, if you will, or a time in the scriptures. Will Rogers once said, we're all ignorant. We're just ignorant in different fields. And that is absolutely true. You know, I know some very erudite PhDs. I know some chemists and engineers who are brilliant in their field. But when they get around the Bible, they melt, they wilt. They feel utterly incompetent. What about you? Maybe you didn't grow up in a Bible-teaching church. Maybe you didn't get a chance to go to Christian camp where you had sword drills and you learned the books of the Bible. And maybe, even though you're a fabulous, fabulous leader or intellect in your area, when it comes to the Bible, you feel a bit intimidated. You feel utterly incompetent. Well, listen, wherever we are on our journey whether a very seasoned person who's been in the Bible for years or whether we're brand new to this, the expectation is the same, that we would simply go to God's Word on a very regular basis and internalize that truth. And I'll make you a promise. I'm going to make you a flat-out promise today. You will probably regret a lot of the ways you spent your time in your life. Amen? Boy, I have. I've regretted many of the ways that I've burned time up, wasted time, spent time, thrown it away. But I'll make you this promise. You will never regret a single minute that you spend in God's Word. Now, that's quite a statement, but I believe that life and experience will back that up. So as we get started today, I want to explain to you several basic facts about the Bible And if you're taking notes, this might be a good place to kind of really jump in and begin to jot some things down, because if we're saying we want people to be in this book, if that's an expectation that we're claiming the Lord has for us, and I believe he does, then what are some facts, some unique facts about the Bible? Well, the first one I would suggest to you is that it claims to be the Word of God. That alone makes this book very unusual. As you read scripture, you'll see phrases like this over and over. The word of the Lord came to me. This is what the sovereign Lord says. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for all good works. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Prophecy never found its origin in human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Or what about this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, But for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Over and over again, you get that affirmation in Scripture. This 
is the very word of God. And of course, as Christians, we believe that that affirmation is true. This book is unique. But second, unusual fact about the Bible is it is a library of 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. And here's the thing that's amazing about that. Although the span of the writings from the first ones written down to the very last ones included in the canon of Scripture is about 1,500 years with at least 40 different authors in there, what you'll find is the message is unified. It's amazingly consistent. Now imagine asking 40 different eminent doctors to write a medical journal just over the last 500 years. You know what you'd find? you'd have all kinds of contradictory messages. You'd have statements in there like, smoking is really good for you. That'd be in the journal. You'd hear that cranberries cause cancer. You would hear the virtues of bloodletting and purging extolled. All these contradictory ideas, and yet the Bible, 66 books, 1,500 years, 40 different authors has a message that is astoundingly, astoundingly consistent. But a third unusual fact about the Bible I would want you to see is that it's divided into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New. The Old and New Testaments. You might think of it as two wills. God had an, kind of an old will for his covenant people and then a new will. Let's imagine that you have a rich uncle. He's really loaded. And uh, in 2007, he writes out a will, and you are not included at all in that will. But in the years that follow, you have an honest and genuine opportunity just to interact with your uncle and get to know him a little bit and so on. And you really become friends, not just family. And he writes a new will in 2016, totally redoes it, and includes you to the tune of $5 million. And then your rich uncle dies in January of 2017. Let me ask you a question. Which one of those two wills is binding? Praise God, the second one. Praise God, okay? Now, God had an old will. Well, he said to his Jewish people, look, you perfectly keep the, wa- the law and you do all these works that are prescribed completely and you can be justified before God. But that excluded us Gentiles, us non-Jewish people. You know what? It really also excluded the Jews because no one could really keep that law perfectly. And so everybody was still really up a creek, quite honestly, if that was the way it was going to be. But Scripture says that that was really just like a school teacher. Paul says in Galatians 3, the law was really just like a school teacher to get us ready for the new will of God in the New Testament. And the new will says you are justified by the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. Listen to what these verses say in the book of Colossians. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code, that was the old will, okay, 
with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Now, friends, that's good news. Now, do not take from that 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 means everything in the Old Testament is just obsolete. Everything is not. There are civil laws that are no longer binding on us. There are ceremonial laws that are no longer binding on us because they've all been fulfilled through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in his once-for-all sacrifice. But there are moral principles and laws in the Old Testament that are just as binding and relevant as they ever were. I just want to make sure everybody understands that. So we don't toss the Old Testament away. No, not at all. It still is the breathed word of God. We're just saying you need to understand that we're under a new plan now, a new testament, a new will of God that centers on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and all the amazing implications of that. So, two testaments, 66 books. Now, let me just go on a side road here. How are you going to remember that there are 66 books? How are you going to do that? Well, I've got one way that I remember how many books are in each testament, and it adds up to 66. Old Testament. How many letters in the word old? How many letters? Three. How many letters in the word testament? You might have to pause and count that a little bit. How many letters in the word testament? Nine, right? Old Testament. Three, nine. 39 books in the Old Testament. How are you going to remember how many are in the New Testament? Well, you can just subtract 39 from 66 and you'll get it easily, okay? But let me tell you a better way. How many letters in the word new? Three. How many letters in the word testament? Nine. Three times nine equals 27. 39 books in the Old, 27 books in in the new, two different testaments. But there's a fourth statement that makes the Bible really, really unique, and that is it has transforming power. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, this is a verse you really, really need to learn, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here's what I want you to know. Every other book has a certain deadness about it. This book, the Bible, is alive. It has transforming power. It changes our lives. We've all heard these stories about someone who was in despair. They were ready to commit suicide. They were in some lonely hotel somewhere, and they opened the drawer and pulled out that Gideon Bible and just started reading. And God met them right there in the pages of the Bible and changed their life forever. Today, they're pastoring a mega church in California or something like that. We've all heard those stories, right? And they're true. Because the Bible is a living book. It has transforming power. And that's one of the many reasons that, one of the reasons of many that we need to know it. You know, a soldier in the army 
understands how important his weapon is. And a soldier in the army learns how to take his rifle apart and put it back together blindfolded. That instrument is that important. And the Bible is our offensive weapon in this battle. It would do us well to learn it backwards, forwards, inside and out, and learn how to handle it and use it as we go on this journey with God. And by the way, you may be there right now, but if not, you will hit times when you need the comfort and encouragement of the Bible. And if you've not already taken the time to internalize it, you may find yourself missing, missing the kind of nurture and edification that can be to you. On a terrifying day in 1965, Howard Rutledge's plane was shot down over North Vietnam. He parachuted out, landed near a village where a group of the men in the village beat him, stripped him of his clothing, and put him in a prison. That began seven years of a brutal incarceration, which could only be described as a living hell. His meager food was soup made of rotting vegetables and animal fat. Most of the time, except for just two different brief periods where he had a cellmate, he was in solitary confinement, closed in in a tiny little cell where he shared it with spiders the size of a human hand and rats as big as cats. He was left to languish in pools of his own waste and tied in agonizing positions for days at a time. He was tortured, repeatedly beaten, and utterly alone. In a book he wrote about that experience, after he came home finally in 1973, the book is called In the Presence of Mine Enemies, an amazing book. He talks about he, how he tried to keep his sanity through all of those horrors. And I'm going to read to you a little section from that book. He says, now, the sights and sounds and smells of death were all around me. My hunger for spiritual food soon outdid my hunger for a steak. Now I wanted to know about that part of me that will never die. Now I wanted to talk about God and Christ and the church, but in heartbreak, and that's the name that the prisoners gave to their hotel, but in heartbreak, solitary confinement, there was no pastor, no Sunday school teacher, no Bible, no hymn book, no community of believers to guide and sustain me. I had completely neglected the spiritual dimension of my life. It took prison to show me how empty life is without God. And so I had to go back in my memory to those Sunday school days in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If I couldn't have a Bible and a hymn book, I would try to rebuild them in my mind. Most of my fellow prisoners were struggling like me to rediscover faith, to reconstruct workable value systems. Everyone knew the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm, but the camp favorite verse that everyone recalled first and quoted most often is found in the Gospel of John, third chapter, 16th verse, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. How I struggled, Rutledge writes, to recall those scriptures and hymns. The enemy knew that the best way to break a man's resistance was to crush his spirit in a lonely cell. In other words, some of our POWs, after solitary confinement, lay down in a fetal position and died. All this talk of scripture and hymns may seem boring to some, but it was the way we conquered our enemy and overcame the power of death all around us. Can I tell you something? Howard Rutledge and his fellow prisoners of war weren't struggling to remember nursery rhymes or even bits of Shakespeare, Tolstoy, Blake, or Dostoevsky. What they wanted, because they knew they had to have spiritual food, what they wanted was the Bible. And that's what sustained them. And that's what kept them alive. You know what? I've met a lot of people. But I've never met a person who said, my life was messed up, falling apart, but I found in atheism the principles I needed for a better future. Can I tell you something? I've met hundreds, hundreds of people whose lives were imploding who said, I found in the pages of the Bible and the Lord that I met there meaning in life, purpose, salvation, and hope for the future. You will never regret a minute you spend internalizing the truth of God's word. But now let's turn our attention to the how question. We don't want to just intrigue you with interesting facts about it. We hope also to share with you how the truth can be internalized, how we can be a consistent student of the Bible, which is what I think God's expectation is for all of us. About a year and a half ago, I shared with you guys, I brought four Bibles up here and talked about what these Bibles have meant to me, and I want to use that as a prop again today. I, I, folks, I won't do this to you every year or so. I promise, I promise, I promise. But I thought, I don't know of really a better way to talk to you about these five ways of internalizing God's truth. So in just a moment, I'll introduce you to the first of those four Bibles. But if you're taking notes, here's what I would ask you to write down first. We talk about the how. How do we internalize the truth of God that can sustain us and keep us and change us and transform us from the inside out? The first way is to hear. The first way is to hear. Now, again, you don't have to write all these verses down. We could go on and on all day with verses and so on, but, but you might want to write down Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. We are a people. God's people are a people who are called to hear. By the way, a part of the Old Testament was a call to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It was a call to come and hear. Why would God do that? 
because there's an awful lot of transforming power in hearing the word of God. You know what I've heard over and over again now for almost 24 years that this church has been in existence? For almost 24 years, I've heard things like this. Wow, pastor, were you bugging our house this week? Were you, were you like a, were you like hiding in the closet or something? Were you a secret guest in our house? I mean, it's like you were talking directly to me today. Stuff I was going through, you gave exact phrases that I used this week and as I was trying to work. Wow, how relevant that message was to me. You know all that every time I just smile and look at people and go, that's just the Holy Spirit. That's just the Holy Spirit taking God's word, and because you had ears to hear, he applied it to your life, and it was powerful. Amen? It was powerful. That's what God does. And make no mistake, one of the, one of the reasons we come together like this and gather together as believers or people who are exploring faith is because there is tremendous power in hearing the word of God. The only problem is you only retain about 10% of this for a very short period of time. Very short period of time. So we need to go well beyond hearing. So a second way that we can internalize the truth of God and be a consistent student is by reading. You might want to jot down there, Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, because the time is near. There is a particular blessing promise right there to the person who's willing to read the word of God. Again, the challenge here is that we only remember about 25% of what we have read, and again, that for a short period of time. But that should not daunt us. We should keep on reading anyway. Let me introduce you to a Bible. When I was very, very young, in fact, as you open this Bible up, it says Rex Keener, Gum Springs Baptist Church, June the 15th, 1970. I was nine years old. Nine years old. I was what they called the junior boys Sunday school class. That's when they gave everybody a Bible. And as you can see, this Bible's kind of falling apart. I have to hold these Bibles, most of them kind of carefully. But this is the Bible that I first started reading in. This is the Bible I first read. And I, I started at the age of 13, some years later, when I was actually saved and began my faith journey with Christ, I started reading this Bible all the way through, and this is the first Bible that I really read. And what you'd find if you looked at this is I circled verses. It never taught me to circle a verse, but I was just circling verses that were jumping off the page at me. See all those verses that are circled there? And those were verses that I wanted to go back and read again and again and again because God was feeding my soul as I read, as I read the Word of God. It is a powerful thing. I commend it to you. I, I hope you're in a small group that cracks the Bible open and reads it. I, I hope you have some kind of personal reading program where you open up Scripture on a regular basis and just Drink it in as you read through God's Word. It might be a little bit in the morning through an Our Daily Bread kind of program, or it might be an online thing that you do. I, whatever it is, get together and read God's Word. 
But again, only about 25% is retained for a very, very short period of time. So we need to go beyond reading, and we need to study the Word of God. Now, if you're writing down verses that kind of back these things up scripturally, you might want to jot down 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy 2, 15. In the old King James, it says, study to show thyself approved unto God. In the NIV, it reads something like this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. So God wants us to be able to correctly handle, in other words, to be a good student, to practice good interpretation. That's what correctly handling means, that we would know good hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible as we study it. Thursday of this week, I drove over to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, a wonderful seminary over in the North Shore of Boston, and I'd been invited to come and teach all afternoon uh, in a class there where there were 37 Master of Divinity students. These are very bright young people, men and women who are preparing for leadership positions, preparing for ministry in some capacity all around the world, and it was a blast. I had so much fun with those students. And man, we just, we just went wild, just learning and studying together, and I talked to them about leadership and organizational health and pastoral ministry. It was a blast. But you know what I, occurred to me? I remembered back when I first went away to college and seminary and how much I learned when I really studied. I'd been in church all my life. But for me, I'd never really done much serious study. That was just me. I hope others were, but I wasn't. I wasn't seriously studying the Bible. I, I had heard it a lot. I, I had read it, as I said, all the way through. I started when I was 13, and it took me over a year to read the Bible all the way through, but I persevered and I did it. I almost got Leviticus when I got to Leviticus. Let me tell you, it was tough to get through. I, I was on meds. I had an IV going to try to get me through Leviticus, but I made it, thank God. Yeah, there's some tough parts and all those genealogy to go, why is this in here, God? You don't always know, but it's in there for a reason. And I'm so thankful that I read, but I had never seriously studied. I think I learned more in one semester of serious study than I'd learned for 17 years just being in the church, just hearing, and just reading. And so I commend study to you, and we've got so many ways that you can do that. And if you're not aware of those, please talk to your lead pastor. Please talk to some of your staff or volunteers at the Information Center and find out ways that you can connect with groups that are really studying the Word of God. It is worth digging into. Let me tell you, if somebody gave you a book and said, if you will read this book, I'll give you $10 million dollars and you knew they'd make good on it, you know what? You'd read every single word of that book. We got a book here that promises something far greater. It promises that it'll show us how to receive eternal life, how our sins can be forgiven, how can we get adopted in the God's forever family, and how he can actually transform us from the inside out, how we can have better relationships and better marriages and be better parents and better citizens of our country. Isn't it worth reading and studying? I, 
you're never going to regret a single minute you spend in God's word. So we really expect that our covenant members are going to take that seriously and be good students of the scriptures. But because we only retain about 50% of what we study, hey, all of you college graduates out there, does that depress you? Only 50% for a very short amount of time. Think about all that money you spent. Well, the point is, hopefully you learn how to study, right? And hopefully you become a lifelong learner. But there's a fourth way that we can internalize God's truth, and that is to memorize. Now, let me introduce you to another Bible that I received in the fifth grade. Can you believe that? I was, by the way, I've totally forgot to introduce you to this Bible. This is the Bible I just wanted to show you for study. It's got a little cardboard covering on it. This has been around the world about two or three times with me. Back before the days of cell phones, Back when I was traveling with the Billy Graham team, this was like my Bible, and I took this everywhere. It is so frayed and dark on the edges. It is pretty beaten up. I just kept putting wrapping tape over it every time it just started falling apart just to try to give it a, a, a makeover and a, and a new cover. This is precious to me because this kind of became my study Bible, especially on the road, and I would just eat this Bible up. I hope you have some good way to study God's word. But this little Bible is the one I started really memorizing in seriously. I got it in the fifth grade from the Gideons. The Gideons are a great organization that have given out over two billion, billion with a B, two billion Bibles all over the world. Uh, In Lawrence County, Tennessee, they gave these out in the fifth grade in public schools. Can you imagine that? public schools. And so I got this Bible, and again, some years later, when I actually came to faith in Christ, this is the book that I started using, the Bible I started using when I started memorizing books of Scripture. And again, you can see here it's falling apart. But I I wouldn't take anything for this. The Gideons have actually tried to get me to donate this to the organization, and I appreciate that suggestion, but I didn't really want to part with it. They wanted to put it behind a glass somewhere and you know, kind of as an example of how their wonderful Bibles get used. And that's great, but I, I want to hang on to this. It, it is totally falling apart. And I started memorizing the book of James out of this when I was 13 years old. And God used his truth to transform my life in an amazing, amazing way. Now, let me tell you something. If you memorize Scripture you're going to have 100% of it, if you really memorize it. It's not 10% or 25 or 50. You're going to have a full 100% of that, and God's going to be able to use that. Imagine if Howard Rutledge had hid books and books of Scripture in his heart before he went into that horrifying existence in prison. Boy, you... All he was able to dredge up were little bits and pieces of Scripture through the years. And oh, how he wished that he had hid God's word in his heart. God would have had something to work with there. And that's the transforming power of the scripture. But there's a fifth and final way that we would suggest that you internalize the truth. And that is through meditation. Now, you also get 100% retention when you meditate on God's word. 
Now, a verse you might want to use for memorizing might be something like Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee for memorization. But for meditation, you might want to use a scripture like this. Joshua 1.8, which says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. And then it says, when you do that, you will be prosperous and successful. Quite a, quite a statement. Don't let it depart. from. That means don't lose it. That means don't let it get away from you. Have it with you at all times is what that means. And when we meditate, that's what we're doing. One of the gentlemen in our congregation has a great practice, and he told me about it, and he gave his permission to share it. Chris DeSantis is a great brother, and boy, he's a real hearer of the word. He listens to the messages carefully on the weekend, and he reads scripture on his own, and he, he, he likes to study scripture. But Chris does this practice with his journal, and it's really a form of meditation, and he writes down takeaways from the sermon that day. He takes careful notes. And then he prays, God, show me what the takeaway ought to be for my life, what I can apply to my life right now, this week. What a great practice. I would commend that to all of you. It's a great way to let God's word wash over you and begin to change you. But as we wrap up today, as we wrap up, I want to introduce you to a fourth Bible. This one is kind of different than those. <laughs> it actually looks pretty impressive. It's got a shiny leather cover. It's got gold embossed edges on the edges of the paper here. It doesn't have a single mark in it. Uh, this is the Bible, by the way, that, that was given me at my ordination to the gospel ministry by the First Baptist Church of Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, August the 14th, 1983 A.D., the presentation is made with a desire and prayer that your life and ministry may be filled with the Spirit, magnify Jesus, and bring glory to God. And then it's signed by the senior pastor and the chairman of the deacons. Wow, what an impressive Bible. And I value this and I treasure it. And, and I'm going to hang on to it and keep it. But you know what? Unlike these Bibles, can I be honest with you? This Bible's never done me a bit of good because I've never used it. Somebody once said, a Bible falling apart usually belongs to a person whose life is not falling apart. How true those words are. But as we close today, I want to bring your attention to one fact that absolutely thrills me. And I hope you'll just take this fact away with you more than perhaps anything else. As we think about this move matrix, let's see this move matrix. We talk about it, Grace, going from exploring Christ, that's where you've not yet become a true believer, you're just kind of kicking the tires, window shopping Christianity, and then we talk about becoming a beginner in Christ. That's where you trust in what he did for you at the cross, repent of your sins, yield your life to him and surrender and say, Lord, come and change me. Now you're a new beginner in Christ. It's awesome. And then we talk about getting close to Christ. That's where you, you're growing on your journey. And hey, now you can honestly say with integrity, I'm close to Christ. But then there's a fourth stage, and that is Christ-centered. This is where 
Every decision, every part of your life is filtered through the values of Jesus. He is everything to you. He's your very life. Now, that's a wonderful journey, but here's the fact that thrills me. Do you know what all kinds of social science research, all kinds of interviews and anecdotal evidence has shown throughout many, many years now? Survey after survey, most preeminently in what's called the reveal study. Here's what the researchers found as they think about this kind of movement. Do you know what the single most catalytic, the single most transformative act is that anyone can do wherever they are on this matrix? Whether you're an explorer today, whether you're a brand new beginner in Christ, you're, you're, not, you're still wet behind the ears in Jesus. Maybe you're close to Christ. Maybe you've, been, maybe you're a fully Christ. You know what the most transformative act is you can do? Here it is. The most transformative catalytic practice in every stage is to reflect on Scripture. There are other great practices that God will use to change us, believe me, but the single most transformative, catalytic experience, wherever you are today, is taking God's Word and reflecting on the truth of His Word, applying it, doing it, saying, God, what does this mean for me this very day? And I pray that you'll become that kind of person because you will never regret a minute that you spend in God's word. Father, thank you for the power of your living word. It truly is living and active. And thank you, oh Lord, that you've given it to us as a precious gift. Help us to never neglect it. Help us to never treat it nonchalantly. But Lord, may we revel and thrill at the thought of your word and that we can internalize your truth and actually live it out with joy day by day. We give you thanks for that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.